The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Nearly a year since my mum passed away. And I've been thinking a lot about that and I guess preparing for that anniversary. And one of the things that still strikes me is her incredible faith at the very, very end of her life. She had such an incredible assurance in her eternal destiny, um, in being with Jesus, in, in, the, in the midst of all the emergency care and the, the, the prognosis not being good and the grief of separation and all of that. She was so assured. It was just incredible. And it, it just made me think about my own assurance and, and ask that question, do, do I have that? That kind of assurance, that kind of strong hope, that kind of assurance of God's love no matter what. Uh, a, a sense of being confident of God's care and protection in the face of incredible difficulty and, and, and even in the face of death. If we're honest, we would admit that as Christians, and we don't even need to be honest, it's kind of obvious that we're not immune from facing fear and anxiety and worry. Christianity is not a magic bullet that gives us a free pass on some of the realities of life. And if we're honest, we probably wrestle with doubts in those moments, whether it's because of a, a, a horrible moral failure after becoming a Christian. You know, no, no matter how bad we were before becoming a Christian, somehow even our lesser sins after becoming a Christian haunt us even more. And we're riddled with guilt and condemnation, whether, whether we doubt God's love in those moments or whether when our world seems like it's imploding and falling apart, whether we wrestle with God's care for us and His ability to protect us from those harsh realities or whether we wrestle with God's concern and, and His good pleasure in us in those moments when we feel like we're missing out and we've been overlooked and we go without. We've all wrestled with those doubts and those insecurities and those fears and those anxieties. And, and I want to I wanna share with you the incredible, powerful truth and implications that flow out of adoption that speak to this. And we've been journeying, if you're visiting with us today, uh, through this series called Adoption or Adopted. And we've looked at different aspects that flow out of this truth and this doctrine. And one of them was the security we have of God's love for us. And Anoj preached on that powerfully. And then a few weeks ago, we, we looked at the eternal hope that we have because we're adopted, that we will be reunited with our father and our brothers and sisters in this incredible eternal family reunion, that hope that steadies us. And then last week, Lewis preached so amazingly and powerfully on, on holiness and this internal, but more so this external application of holiness that flows out of our identity as God's kids, because that's who He is as our Father. And this week, I want to look at assurance. I want to look at how we can be secure because of this doctrine of election, uh, of adoption and election. <laughs> it's the same thing. And you'll see that. 
Romans 8, this is the passage we've been sitting with all over the weeks. Different people have kind of dipped in here, but I want to kind of spend a bit more time in this passage. We're going to focus particularly on verses 31 to 39, um, which are just so profound and so powerful. And this is probably one of the most familiar passages uh, in, in Romans anyway, uh, for many of us, and for good reason. It says this, what, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just setting a bit of context, Paul is very aware that as Christians we're not immune from hard realities. He writes this chapter really to address pastoral concerns for Christians who are wrestling with doubts and fears and insecurities. Uh, chapter 7 ends with that famous passage where Paul is wrestling with his own inner demons of wanting to do the right thing and honor God and, and serve God and, and not being able to and the frustration of that. And then he begins at chapter 8 verse 1 with this incredible statement. There is no condemnation because he knows that Christians wrestle with that in our moments of moral failure and sin. And then he goes on in chapter 8 to talk about this battle between the flesh and the spirit. And what we're talking about here, the context is that Paul is addressing those who are genuine followers of Jesus, genuine disciples. And I want you to keep that in mind as we talk about things like election, as we talk about adoption, as we talk about these things, because that is the assumption that these people have committed themselves to Christ, have trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and have believed and trusted in the work of Jesus on the cross. But there is a wrestle between the flesh and the spirit that Paul addresses here, and he speaks to that. And then in these last verses, he, he deals with the threats from the outside, the things that can intimidate us and, and bring fear and, and doubt and concern and worry and anxiety. And you'll notice that right in the middle is where he sticks this idea that we've been engaging with, adoption. Right in the middle of all of this. And we see in verses 14 to 16, this profound statement that we've read over and over again. And you'll see that Paul is speaking to this fear that we struggle with in verse 15. He says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. You see, Paul recognizes that it's, it's, it's easy for us to be gripped by fear and worry. And he says, But remember who you are. Remember you're adopted. Remember you're a son of the living God. And that ought to fuel and empower and direct your security as you live in a broken world where crazy things will happen on the outside. And you will wrestle with your own guilt and con 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 condemnation on the inside. 
And yet, yet he says, this adoption idea, if you grab a hold of it, the tighter you grab a hold of it, the more secure you'll be in the face of all of that. And so that's the context. And so when we get to our passage, Paul asks these four profound questions that speak to just about every fear that we might experience as Christians. And I want to do things a little bit differently, as you've noticed already. Normally, we have a time of reflection at the end of a message. But as I've prepared this, these things are so profound that I want you to have a Salah moment, like the Psalms talk about. You know, when they write something so awesome that you, they just say, man, you've got to just stop and think about this for a moment. Well, we're going to have those Salah moments at the end of each of these questions because I want you to just sit and think about it because that's what Paul wants you to do. Because he begins by saying, what then shall we say in response to these things? He's saying, I've, all, I've just articulated this profound doctrine. What do you think about this? Think, 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 think about this. And let me help you to think about it by asking you these questions. And so he does. The first question he says, he asks us, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, now this question strikes to our fear of opposition. Because he knows that people will be against us. Spiritual forces will be against us. Satan will be against us. Circumstances will be against us. There will be opposition. But Paul is saying, you, you don't need to fear the opposition. Why? Because he says, if God is for us, who is the God he's talking about? It's the God of the Bible. The God who spoke creation into being. The God who is the Lord of the universe. The God who rescues his people out of the most powerful political powers. The, the God who parts seas. The God who rains down fire. The God who can send bread that sustains life out of nothing. The God who controls animals. Read the end of Job if you're not sure which God we're talking about here. Read the New Testament, the God that Jesus reveals to us, the one who speaks and calms storms and walks on water and raises the dead and gives sight to the blind. And, and Paul says, that's the God I'm talking about. If God, that God, and then he says he's for you. That's covenantal language. He's for you. He's pledged himself to you. He's covenanted himself to you. He's He's promise to be your father and your provider and your carer and your nurturer and the only way you can doubt is if you really believe that God will fail his promise so he says think about that Hebrews 6 might help you here to know how impossible that is people swear by someone greater the writer says than themselves and the oath confirms what he said and puts an end to all argument because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his promise very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. And he says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. What's he saying? He says, God can't break his promise. And so Paul says, think about this. If that God that I've been talking about, the God of the Bible, is for you covenantally, pledged himself, promise-keeping God, then who can be against you? You've got the biggest dad in the universe. Which bully do you need to fear in the playground? Think about it. This is what J.I. Packer says. And then I've got...
a scripture for you to just think about. What is being proclaimed here is God's undertaking to uphold and protect us when people and circumstances are threatening, to provide for us as long as our earthly pilgrimage lasts, and to lead us finally into the full enjoyment of Himself. However many obstacles may seem at present to stand in the way of us getting there. And listen to this. The simple statement, God is for us, is in truth one of the richest and weightiest utterances that the Bible contains. If God is for you, who can be against you? Who do you need to fear? Who can threaten you? Who can intimidate you? Who can come against you? Think on this thing. Take a moment. Read that over and over. Think. Think. Think about your life. Who you fear. Who intimidates you? Is it your boss? Is it a bully at school? Is it someone at university who seems to be so smart that you'll undermine every one of your arguments? Who is it that you are intimidated by, that you're afraid of, that you cower from? Think. Who can be against you when God is on your side? The second question Paul asks is in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things. See, not only is God our almighty protector, but he's also our gracious, abundant provider. You see, this speaks to our FOMO, right? You know FOMO, fear of missing out. That's what this speaks to. See, this speaks to uh, the Christian's concern that if I go all out for Jesus, I'll miss out. If I sell everything and give to the poor and follow Jesus, I'll miss out. If I take my faith too seriously, I'll miss out on relationships and friendships. If I am too radical in obeying and following Jesus, I might... Lose out on reputation. That's what this speaks to. This fear that we all have. We, we hedge our bets and we kind of go, you know what? I'm going to store a little bit away for a rainy day. Whether that's materially or financially or in terms of our reputation. And so we hedge ourselves. We don't go all in. Because we're afraid. Because we're afraid that we'll go without. That we will suffer, suffer deprivation by going all out for Jesus. At the end of the day, 
Christian, it's really unbelief. It's really not trusting God, no matter how you want to carve it up. And this speaks to that. And, and Paul makes it so profoundly difficult for us to not trust God this way by what he says here. And he wants you to think about this. And he asks this question. He says, firstly, think about this. We're talking about the God who did not spare his own son. Oh, what's he saying here? He's saying, do you realize what it cost you to set, cost God to save you? That God went to the limit. There is nothing held in reserve. God held nothing back when he gave Jesus. He gave his ultimate. He gave his best. He gave everything in order to save you. The son gave everything. The Bible says he emptied himself. There was nothing left in the tank. There was nothing more to give. That is who he's saying. Now now think, if God did the ultimate for you in giving Jesus, why would he withhold anything lesser? He says, think about that. Just think about that. But what are these all things? Are we always talking material things? And I was like, okay, we go all out for Jesus. All right, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be loaded. Well, no. It's talking about Romans 8.28. You know, God causes all things to work together for good. Now, again, Christians think good for me. It's not. Again, think about what Paul is saying. He's saying, if Jesus is God's ultimate, then anything less than that is less than that. So Jesus, if God is giving His best, then everything that He wants for us that's good and right and pleasing and satisfying is going to be found in Jesus. That, that's the good. It's all the good that God can think of in His infinite wisdom and His infinite goodness. And sometimes all the things that, all the, all that God thinks is good, we might not necessarily think is good. But see, God wants your deepest joy. He wants your eternal happiness. He wants you to have the best life. And Paul says, listen to what he says, graciously give us all things, all things. And he says, how will he not also along with him give us everything? You see, everything that God has for you is in Jesus. There's nothing else that God has for you that's outside of Jesus. It's all in Him. And when Jesus died and rose again, He secured God's full inheritance for you. There is nothing that is held back from you. You know, I remember growing up in, in, in Pentecostal circles and we, we talk about God's plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D kind of thing. And you know, they talk about, you know, you're going to get to heaven one day and you're going to open your mansion and there's all these gifts wrapped up that you never got because you never asked and never prayed. For. You know, you've heard that kind of stuff. Maybe you haven't. I grew up here in that summer and go, wham, what am I missing out on? All this stuff that God has for me. Well, Paul says, that's bogus. Everything that God has for you is given to you in His Son. That's why Jesus can say to know the Son is to know life. It's me. There is no better thing for you to have. And so Paul is saying, so because God has given you Jesus, He's given the ultimate, He's given, him the, he's given you the best. What else is there for Him to hold back from you? How securing is that in those moments when we think that God's holding out on us? That we're missing out somehow because we've trusted God and we've gone all out and we don't have what somebody else has. How reassuring that we can rest in what God thinks is good for us in His infinite wisdom and His infinite goodness. And that even God's apparent withholding 
is in some way good for us. Here's Packer's quote. Next one. Sorry, I skipped that one. One day, so this is going to heaven thing, seeing the packages in your storeroom. This is what Packer says about that. One day we shall see that that storeroom is empty, really. That nothing, literally nothing, which could have increased our eternal happiness has been denied us. And that nothing, literally nothing, that could have reduced that happiness has been left with us. You will never need more than he can supply. And what he supplies, both materially and spiritually, will always be enough for the present. What an incredible truth. Salah. Reflect on this. Are you feeling more secure? Well, if not, it gets better. It gets better. Third question. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. This question speaks to our fear of ultimate rejection. This fear that maybe God will one day wake up and realize that He made a mistake with us, that He chose badly, that He discovered things that He didn't know about us and that He will change His mind about our adoption and reject us. Or that something we do or something we don't do is going to make God love us any less. That's what it speaks to. And Paul says, come on. Come on. Think about it. Think about it. Think about that fear. Think about how your adoption speaks to that fear. And he says, God is the ultimate authority. He's, he's, he's the supreme authority. There is no higher court of appeal. There is no other judge. 
And he says, think about it. This is the same God who has chosen you. It is the same God who has justified you. Now he's referring back to the the plan of salvation that he's mentioned in verses 29 and 30. And he says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And here it is. And those he predestined, he also called. There's that word. And those he called, he also justified. There's the other word. Those he justified, he also glorified. That's the last bit. That's the bit that we are sometimes not confident that God will actually finish the job. But notice what Paul does there. He says it in the past tense. It's already done. Paul is so sure that God is big enough to finish what he started that he can say it's already done. So what are you afraid of? It's already done. Let me say this. Paul says here that God will never discover Anything about you that will change your status before Him. Because He's the all-knowing one who knew everything, past, present, and future, that you have done, haven't done, that you will ever do, and He's justified you in the face of that. It's not going to change the verdict because it's a done deal. And, and so Paul is saying, yeah, you can, you can have that fear. You can fear that God will reject you one day only if you think that God cannot finish the job that He started with you. If you, if you think, you know what? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really confident that the God I've believed for my eternal salvation is actually going to be able to take me home in the end and glorify me with the Son. Then you can say, oh man, I'm, gonna, I'm always going to be afraid. But Paul says, think about that. Just think about that. God has justified you. And not even Satan has any opportunity to appeal before another court because the supreme judge has declared you, has declared me righteous. But he says, look, I'll give you another reason. He says, because it's not based on your righteousness. It's not based on you doing or not doing all the right things. It's based on who? On Jesus. Because he's the only one that has the right to condemn you. And Paul goes, how ridiculous would that be? That the one person who can condemn you is the one who died for you. So think about that. The one that John 5, Jesus says, all judgment has the Father has entrusted me. He's the only one. And he's the one that died for you. So really, do you think there's anyone else that can condemn you? The only one who can, he's the one who died, who was raised to life, and is now enthroned at the right hand of God. And what is he doing? He's praying for you. So come on, Paul says, really? You have no reason to fear the rejection of God, ever. Ever. Because it's based on God's work of salvation, and it is based on the finished work of Jesus on the cross that you and I have believed and trusted. And so we are justified. And there will be no one that can ever come before the courtroom of heaven and say, but did you know this about them? Did you know they said this? They did that. They neglected. Did you know this gross, horrible sin that they committed? And the judge will say, yeah. And I justified them anyway because of Jesus. How securing is that? This is what Packer says. Nobody can alter God's decision over his head. There is only one judge. And nobody can produce new evidence of your depravity that will make God change his mind. For God justified you with, so to speak, his eyes open. 
He knew the worst about you at the time when he accepted you for Jesus' sake. And the verdict which he passed then was and is final. Final. Think on this. Last question, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This speaks to our fear of the unknown, the what ifs, the but what about? And so Paul lists a whole bunch of what ifs and he covers everything. He covers natural and supernatural forces. He covers physical, spiritual, temporal, eternal, present, future. And in case he misses anything, you know, he says, well, let me just be clear. Nothing else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Can I say it any other way? Nothing. Whatever it is that you are afraid of, the unknowns, however powerful and strong. And let me be clear here. Again, I want to say to you that Christians, we're not immune from difficulties, from hardships. Paul lists a whole bunch of these things. And he often talked about experiencing these things himself as an apostle. And no matter how spiritual you are, it doesn't mean that you experience less troubles. Often the more spiritual you are, the more troubles you experience. And even death, Paul says. Untimely, premature, sudden, accidental, all of that. The Paul says, you know what? No matter what you can think of, it can't separate you from the love of God. It, it, it just can't. And it, you can see that in this section, Paul is really focusing on the love of God. He mentions it three times. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37, and in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then verse 39, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. Christ Jesus. 
He really wants us to grapple this, that no matter what you go through, he, God will not fail you. God will not forsake you. God will not abandon you. And we've looked at these passages from Psalms, and uh, it says this, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. We looked at that last week. And Isaiah 49 is such a great promise. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. You see, Jesus said, all those the Father brings to me, they're, they're in the Father's hand, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Uh, just think about that. Think about that. You're in the hands of the creator of the universe. Is there anything, anyone that, that can rob you from that, take you from that place? That's what Paul's saying here. And he, here's the profound thing. There is only one thing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's sin. That's it. That's the only thing. And it's interesting that Paul in verse 37, he says, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Again, past tense. Loved us. And in Romans 5, uh, Paul reminds us of this love, this first love. You see, in verse 6, he says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, when we were God's enemies, when we were separated, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, God demonstrates his own love. There's, there's the past tense that Paul is referring to. But God demonstrates now his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then he goes on to talk about the how much more. And he says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more? Shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having now been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Paul says, there's nothing else left to separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Because the only barrier has been removed in Jesus. There is no other barrier. Nothing else. No human, spiritual, supernatural foe can take you from the place of God's love in Christ, from the palm of His hand. And you can rest secure in that, even in the face of death, even in the face of persecution, even in the face of disease and disappointment and war, and in the face of anything that you can imagine, all the what-ifs that come to your mind, all the but-what-abouts, you can rest secure because your Father has you. And his love for you is strong and it will never fail you and never disappoint you. And he will bring you ultimately to himself. He will keep you believing in the midst of doubt, in the midst of fear, in the midst of anxiety. His love will be so strong that it will keep compelling you towards him. Even when you feel like you're going to run away from him, he will keep calling you back because his love for you is that strong. And he's given us the Holy Spirit. And, and so we, we end where we began with this incredible truth that this doctrine of adoption can only be understood through the Holy Spirit. Which is why, if you're not yet a Christian, I encourage you, come to Jesus. Come to the Father through the Son. Uh, come and receive his forgiveness for your sin and his adoption into his family. And the Holy Spirit will come and, and, and make this real to you because it's only through the Spirit that we can have this conviction that we know that we know that we are God's children. 
And we are not victims of fear anymore. We can live free of fear because of the Spirit's witness in our heart that we are God's kids. It's great to think and engage our minds, but really it's through being filled with the Holy Spirit that we can really know in our hearts this to be true. And that's why in the last few weeks, I don't know if you've noticed, we've been saying over and over again, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And church, as a leadership and as an eldership, we've been praying that way for you, for us, that we would just be filled with the Spirit more and more and more. And so one of the things we're going to do is that at the end of every sermon, we're going to include that in our prayer time. You know, we're not just going to be praying for people who are sick or who have needs. We're going to be praying for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I don't care if you come every week for that. Because that's, that's God's answer for us to really know that we're His kids. He's given us the Spirit. And there's, there's no limit to how filled you can be with the Spirit. And so we're going to pray every Sunday for whoever wants to be filled again and again and again and again. Because that's what the Bible says we should do. And we, we, we so believe that this is the direction God wants us to go, that we've got a whole series in June just looking at living in the power and the fullness of life that comes from the Spirit. And next week, Andrew, as he concludes this adopted series, he's going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and His role and His power to, to work in our lives this way. So come with that heart and say, God, I want to know more and more this assurance, this security that I can know in my heart that I'm your kid, I'm your child. Will you fill me with the Holy Spirit over and over again so that I can walk in His power and His strength every day? We're going to come around our time of communion. And while we do that, I want to play you a song. And the words are going to be up on the screen, which really summarizes all that I've been saying. And then we're going to have communion together and the band's going to come and we're going to end with just a wonderful time of worship and an opportunity for people to be filled with the Spirit. And then Dash will wrap up with notices and prayer and all the stuff that we left out in the middle somewhere. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.